Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist. Whoa, registered massage. I might go inactive this year. I might go inactive. As, of, as of right now, I'm though, you are still a registered massage therapist. Right. So, registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's another night we're hanging out in the office kind of after hours, and we've got a real cool guest on Zoom. She figured out all of my Zoom secrets. 2112, <laughs> Right, I'm so proud of you right. for that. Yeah. Uh, we are the priests of the temple. Anyway, forget that. Because we're old. That's true. Well, we're wise. Let's say that. We're wise. And we have great taste. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you notice I'm just staying quiet over here. You have here. good taste too. You hang out with me. That's good enough. I have excellent <laughs> taste. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda. And it is a Friday night. I ordered some pizza for my kids and the babysitter and grabbed a bottle of wine. I'm actually telling the truth. Our guests can confirm I am indeed holding a bottle of wine. And we have Nancy on Zoom, who is a registered massage therapist in the Niagara region. And her and I have had multiple back and forth email conversations over the last few years. She is a listener of the podcast. And if she hears something that she has opinions on, she'll send an email. And we've had really constructive conversations because it's not always, oh, I loved this. It was like, I had questions about this. I think this. And, you know, I, I like you it. You guys dumb here. <laughs> no, but I, I appreciate that it's she's good. giving us feedback about things that and, and giving um, maybe sides of it that I hadn't really looked at. So That's we've had point. multiple conversations over the last few years. And recently, I guess, her and Mark had an interaction, I think, on maybe a public post. And he said, hey, you should come on the podcast. She was a little apprehensive about it, but she does have many opinions. So we said, wait, let's wait, wait, do wait. it anyway. <laughs> Why would you have been apprehensive? Because uh, I, I said, uh, you'll have to read about it in my book. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, there's a fantasy of a book um, happening, but uh, I don't know. So I'm here now. So you'll get all of it. Is it fantasy or is it going to be reality? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's it's going to be reality, but she doesn't want to say. I get well, it. Well, we'll see. It. We'll see it. after this conversation. You know, I I do believe her when she says she's got many opinions, and I want to hear them. And we've had some really, as I said, really constructive and productive off mic conversation. So mm -hmm. there was this was the next logical step, Nancy, to Absolutely. have you with a mic and giving us your thoughts. So before we start, can you um, give us a little bit of background, an introduction, how long you've been practicing, maybe what you were doing before massage, why massage therapy and what your practice looks like today. This is probably my 16th year in practice. Nice. And I'm in that, um, uh, like in the categories that they outline in the CMTO report, you know, we just got the CMTO report recently. Mm. I'm in all of the smallest categories. So I've <laughs> been, you know, I have a solo clinic. I'm in the one of the older age ranges. I've been doing this a fair amount of time. And, uh, I feel like, um, there's no stopping. Like I, I want to keep working as long as I can. And so I've arranged my life and my practice to be able to do that. Wait, I'm going to pause you. What does that mean? You've arranged your life and your practice to be able to keep going for as long as possible. As I started this career a little late, um, I had to be a little bit smarter about the way, uh, I had to work. How late are we talking about? Well, I well, I, so let's, let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. Right? So I came to massage therapy from uh, a, a career in employee benefits. So as an employee benefits consultant and manager for a major insurance company. Right. So I really got uh, an inside scoop as to what sort of 
medical claims were going through a lot of private plans. I understood how the plans were financed and priced and uh, I had a lot of access to claims data. And so I decided that um, the insurance business working for a major company was not for me. So I went to work in the field with a broker. So I managed a small block of business where I was able to do a lot more um, of employee engagement, employee meetings, and working directly with those clients, small business clients. So after that, uh, I really started thinking like, I'm on the wrong side of the fence here. I need to get into the field of healthcare in some way. And because of my own history of migraines, I, I had a lot of sports injuries as a, a young person and was a chronic migraine sufferer for most of my life since about age 12. That's horrible. A migraine is the worst, worst feeling I think I have ever experienced. I've only Never had two one. in my entire life and I wish that upon nobody. I know. So imagine you have kids. Yep. Right. Imagine you're 12 year old. No. In a dark room, no. vomiting, no, uh, and you know can't can't leave, can't speak. That Awful. was that's uh, frightening. Oh, and, and your poor then, parents. Though, way back when, <laughs> um, you know, my mother didn't know what to do. She didn't know where to take me. The doctor didn't have any great ideas. So basically, um, I kept on playing sports, and then every time I would get injured. Um, or have uh, an episode, I was out. And so I wasn't able to find any decent treatment until I was well into my 20s. Um, and massage theory, therapy was part of that. Awesome. So uh, I, I decided that I wanted to, um, this one year, this big year, I was going to uh, get my black belt in karate. And then I was going to get married to my high school sweetheart. And I was going to have a baby and then I was going to massage therapy school. <laughs> and that that's what happened. Who does so, she sound like right now? Uh, someone that maps everything out. Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you map everything out. And then that one thing in your mind that, uh, you know, could possibly go wrong, you know, that go that happens too. So mm -hmm. that kind of happened. But anyway, I graduated from massage therapy school and uh, I... Part of the reason why I loved massage therapy, not only because of the benefits I was receiving for myself, but um, for some things that you always say, Amanda, is that, you know, you have children and you want to be able to arrange your own schedule. You mm -hmm. can work when you want as much as you want. And that really appealed to me because I wanted to, to really be engaged um, with, I have one daughter, so she's off to university now, but at the time it was really important for me to be around when she sure. was young. So that career afforded me the luxury to do that. And I've always been in clinical practice. So I've always been like renting a room or renting space and working on my own. Um, I did work in a multidisciplinary uh, clinic and uh, I was really scared to go and work on my own um, for some reason. And it ended up being the best thing I could do because that's what ultimately gave me the the freedom and space to grow as a practitioner. So what ended up happening though, uh, when I started working um, with the techniques we use in school, I realized very quickly the limitations of massage therapy with a lot of the uh, patients that I was treating. 
And a colleague of mine um, had been practicing craniosacral therapy for a very long time, even before she became a massage therapist. And I was getting treatments from her and she was able to like find all of these old, long forgotten like injuries, you know, all these sports injuries I had. And I said, this is amazing. It feels like magic. What are you Sorcery. doing? And can I learn to do this? And she said, yeah, you just go take a course. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I said, okay. So that kind of put me on that, um, uh, the craniosacral therapy path. And once I started really studying and practicing that, I, the thing that impressed me most was, um, how you're able to assess. So it made assessing so clear and quick. And um, it took a lot of guesswork out of it, you know, compared to just using um, massage therapy technique and the assessments that we learned. So um, I was getting uh, very efficient in my treatments. But after doing the somato-emotional release uh, curriculum, I started um, perceiving like qualities of the tissue and energy that I never, I didn't really know what to do with. So um, I started having uh, like seeing colors or having sensations in my body and perceiving um, just imagery that had nothing to do with me. Mm. And so there was all this like extra information that was, that was happening. And so I went to my colleague who was doing this work and I told her what was going on. And she just looked at me and she's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I she said, had an explanation, but no. Nope. <laughs> yeah, because she's the one who has been doing this. And I was like, oh, okay. So I thought after a while of, of this happening, I thought I'm losing my mind. Like I'm, I need to get some help. Uh, I don't know what's happening. So I just kind of kept it to myself. Can I pause? Can I pause you for a second? Yeah, sure, sure. Prior to this, these experiences, once you started doing the somatic work and emotional release and all of that, prior to that, would you have considered yourself a very intuitive person? Were you somebody that was really in tune with energy? Like, had that ever crossed your mind before? Were you somebody, you know, the, the trust your gut person, the instincts like was that part of you already like somebody who could sort of feel things good question my answer if i had to guess is yes uh actually i came into starting my uh clinical practice just you know pretty straightforward assessment treatment that's it i'm going to get really really good at technique and that's how i'm going to approach things and uh you know my sister i don't know people would give you information talking about chakras and talking about and i'm just like yeah i don't know I don't no know. but i I, th- I think amanda is is kind of getting out and correct me if i'm wrong which i probably am because you're probably I'm, right because you know most me of the very time. well when someone says this stuff to me once upon a time i probably would have been you're a fucking crackpot i don't know what you're talking <laughs> about like this is just way out there and then he married me <laughs> no it's not that not that's not the reason but then the more i hear about this stuff i'm like you know what there are people that are in tune to something that 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 other people aren't and there's a small population of these people that that can get in tune to this kind of stuff and maybe you're attracted to body work maybe you're not whatever the case is but i feel like a lot of them are end up being attracted to body work so when you start telling me this kind of stuff i'm like you know what you've got a gift 
that a small number of people have. And that's part of it. That's that's nope. what I think is part of it. No. She says no. Nope. And this is where I'm headed. Okay. Yeah. Tell me because I don't think I can do what you do. This is why I'm here. Yeah. 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 You keep saying things like this. Yeah. Like the gift, the specialness. Right. Bullshit. It's bullshit. Why is it and bullshit? So I'm, well, I'm going to get there. I'll explain it <laughs> a little later because there's. There's a progression here. Okay. So it, so with this information, someone like, you know, where are you going to go to ha- get someone to help you okay. clinically figure out what to do with this information? Why am I even perceiving it? It must be clinically relevant because it's not happening when I'm at the grocery store. Right. It always happens in, in the treatment room. So, um, and was I sensitive before? But yeah, maybe I was, maybe I was somewhat intuitive, but you know, not, not in this particular way. So this was something fairly new. So anyway, that, that experience led me down. Oh my gosh. So many rabbit holes. I have spent thousands and thousands of dollars, not only on like, uh, you know, curriculum and, uh, therapeutic approaches and treatments having to do with manual therapy, but also meditation, spiritual work, um, energy work of all kinds. And so I would show up to some of these places, these, you know, or people, these mentors or classes, and I would just have to be really open and just, uh, you know, hear what they had to say. Were you, a, were you at all skeptical though? Did you feel like, you know, how you just said like this gift is bullshit. Would you walk into these places, you know, of course, you you know that something is happening that must be clinically relevant, you want to learn about it. But was there ever a time you were hear some, hearing somebody give an explanation that you're like, this is the most bullshit nonsense I've ever heard in my entire life? Well, you, you have to, in these scenarios, you know, I didn't want to offend anybody, mm-hmm. but I wanted to keep an open mind. Right. So I went in very receptive and um, I really wanted to try, like I wanted to practice and explore. And so um, even though, even when you go to any course, to your courses, not everybody is going to, you know, receive everything you say as gospel truth, right? right. So um, or Mark's looking away, he's like, well, I... I- <laughs> no, and they shouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't expect anyone to, and I wouldn't encourage that. You, you take away what you take away. Yeah. Yeah. And so the reason that some of the these classes and courses that I took would be for the same reason that I would want to learn um, like a joint play technique or learn how to work, like do TMJ techniques, anything else. So I would say there's a need for this in my clinic. These are the people that are coming to me. I need to figure out how to do this properly and safely and effectively. So that's, that's the approach I took, but um, I I did feel that um, I wasn't too keen on the length, some of the language being used because it wasn't specific enough for me. So whenever I was taking these courses, the thing that always kept in my mind was that if I can't make sense of this for the client on the table, like how to, apply this in a way that is within scope that I can understand the effects that it's having on the body for this person to know whether I'm causing harm or I'm actually helping that I shouldn't be doing it. So I always manage to work with the techniques that um, actually fit seamlessly into what I was doing just to help me understand what was going on with the client what I needed to know in order to provide a safe and effective treatment. So this went on for years and I still kept bridging the gap. So, 
you know, there were some, some more out there ideas that, um, I just couldn't, I just couldn't integrate. They were so, they, I don't know if they were just made up ideas or, um, do you want to know these ideas? Yeah. Like, like what, like what? Okay. So like, um, systems of like, uh, using certain tools. So the use of crystals and pendulums and things like that, Okay. Okay, like that kind of stuff. You know, I, I found it interesting and I was surprisingly like really sensitive and I could work with these things, but, I, I, but no, I'm not going to use them. Like some of you those do things- take somewhat of an, uh, an, I shouldn't say somewhat, you do take an evidence-based approach, right? Like you, when you say bridging the gap, you want to have the evidence with some of the spiritual aspects. Is that correct? This is it. So I understand that, you know, um, humans are complex, Right. right. We're complex beings. And you, you, even when you think you're just working with the physical body, you're not just working with the mm-hmm. physical body. You're not, not just working with tissues. You're right. working with w- the stuff of their life. You're working with their ideas that you, they have, people have about themselves, about how they want to be in the world. Um, especially people who are really debilitated or chronically sick. You know, you're working with that whole person. Mm -hmm. So there are aspects of that that um, are revealed in the tissue that you kind of, you can work with in a really um, seamless way that can, can influence change more than just working with the tissue. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, um, so when, uh, I forgot what your question was, (laughs) but (laughs) you, the last question was, we just wanted to know some of the stuff that sort of didn't make sense to you. And then I was saying, um, because you had mentioned the crystals, I had just said, because I know from some of our conversations that you, you do put some weight into being evidence informed, but then you also understand that there is a spiritual or whatever you want to call it. There is another aspect to what you're doing. Right. So, um, I guess the, the one thing I can say is that there is certain language like new age language, there's language that is used that just doesn't point to anything for me. I, I can't, you know, if you ask somebody talking about, um, you know, their idea of what a soul is or, you know, or energy, like if they describe well, what energy are you talking about? You know, I'm like, is it thermal energy is it like the heat from inflammation. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot going on with the physical body that is palpable outside the tissue, right? So including things like the heat from an inflammatory process or the coolness from um, a lack of circulation in an area of the body. But then there's a lot more. So I don't, I don't, um, I think people's language trying to label some of this phenomena was not specific enough for me to be able to adopt into the context of a treatment. You know, all I can think of in my head right now is somebody coming in and saying to me, I can see your aura. Yeah. And then you can say, great. Um, so what? Like, yeah, like so what, what does that mean? <laughs> yes, exactly. So even though I can perceive all of these, you know, I, I could perceive these things, it really bothered me that I didn't know what to do with that information. And so I needed to have a way to sort through what was valuable and what could be used clinically. You see, but so, I don't perceive these things. I don't see these things. That's why. That, I'll that's, tell you why, that's, Mark. You tell this me is why. for you. Tell me why. <laughs> tell me why. I don't want to see these things, but tell me why. <laughs> okay. So um, uh, 
I want to stop here because there's more, like, because I'm learning more, right? right, right, right but right, right. I'm going to backtrack a bit for Mark because I, I, this is for him. So I want to tell you a story about my experience with a, a sensory scientist. Okay. Okay. So one of my little pet projects that I did was um, I signed up for some testing at a local innovation center, the center in Vineland that um, they, uh, they, it, they produce agricultural products. So for instance, if they want to develop a new strain of apple or fruit okay. or wine, right. okay, they get a bunch of people in a room and they have this, uh, they have this sensory um, testing. So I went for repeated tests in order to make sure that I'm tasting all of these things and I can accurately evaluate the taste that I'm tasting. So whether it was sweet or salty or smelling, like what is the smell? Is it uh, like a berry or is it like a can of apple juice? Or, you know, you go through all of the sensory testing. And uh, the idea is that in sensory sciences, they use human super sensors to evaluate products to bring to market. So any coffee that's produced, a lot of foods do this. They do this um, even to arrange uh, stations and supermarkets. Mm -hmm. It tells um, like at Disney, for instance, Walt Disney was brilliant at sensory sciences. He changed the, um, the, the materials used on the roads to, to change a person's experience from mm-hmm, concrete mm-hmm. to cobblestone. Mm-hmm. It gave, it was like a subconscious way of working with people's senses. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are people who naturally, um, but I want to say conditionally. So based on many factors that contributed to your upbringing, you might actually, if your mother was a brilliant cook, you know, you may have a better uh, sense of smell. Can I just but say? Is, but can I just say right now? This is just my point. Though. Two two things. No, no, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna add to Nancy's point because okay. I know why this is for you. You don't think that any of this applies to you, but I will. Disagree no, that's a not bit. what I'm. Okay, that's not what <laughs> I'm saying. But okay. I will say one. I want to do um, some sort of experiment sure. experiment like this just for fun because sure. that sounds amazing. But also, like just what she's saying right now. Yes. If your mom was a brilliant cook, you might yes. have a better sense of smell or whatever. It. Mark's sense of smell is like incredible to me. He will literally walk into our home and he'll say to me, something smell like you know that smell when you've left something wet hanging for too long and it will be all the way at the other end of our place in like our ensuite bathroom where I left a dirty towel that had to be washed and I'm like, how did you smell that from the front door? Right. Yeah. Okay. So in the sensory science lab, um the scientist told us that um, the reason why they use uh, humans to in the sensory sciences develop these products is because they've tried and failed to create machines mm-hmm. that can reproduce what humans can do. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the sense of smell is super sophisticated in humans. So they're, they've tried to build machines, but the machines can only identify uh, particles that they they were programmed to be able to detect. Mm-hmm. They can detect particles in an array of an, in the array of particles in an aroma, but humans have a much more sophisticated ability to detect more qualities of right. that. So I asked her afterwards. I said, "Well, what about touch? 
And she said, huh? And I said, well, I'm a manual therapist. And I understand that, you know, from therapist to therapist, we all have different uh, sensitivities and capabilities and palpation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I said, so um, ha- have you, ha- do you study this also? And she said, no, I actually have never heard of it. And I think it's because you can't commodify it. You can't, uh, what, there's certain things that you can touch, what a squishy ball or like those squishmallow thing. Like there's the quality of touch, like what in, in the field of healthcare manual sciences, they built all ty- kinds of machines that can, you know, like the, the vibrating machines and all these other machines to try to mimic a massage, but they're garbage. A massage therapist sits in a massage chair and goes, what is this? This feels awful. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but um, the quality of human touch and that interaction is actually very sophisticated. And so our sense of touch, when you, when you, uh, even early in your career, right? You get a patient in on the table who's never had massage therapy before and you can palpate, you know, through the clothing, through the hair, through the skin, through the the fat. You can palpate through their skin to, to palpate a muscle and they think you're a genius. They don't even understand how you can do it. So Mark, to say that you don't have these abilities or skills just means that there's you you haven't paid attention to the type of training in order to do certain types of palpation or you haven't developed your senses in a way like a sommelier would i feel like there's a it's a combination of a whole bunch of things and that's why i i i say like there's not tons of people that do this kind of stuff and do it well because there's a genetic predisposition that needs to be there and there also needs to be that it's that nature and nurture and they they all need to line up in a certain way to allow whatever to flourish properly or whatever to flourish in a certain way to a, a large magnitude and i don't think that there's a lot of people that have that combination of that genetic predisposition a along with the proper nurturing that allows the flourishment of whatever we're talking about. So at the end of the day, you end up with a small amount of people that can do these types of things. It's like athletics. It's like athletics, right? Can everyone be an, a, a world-class athlete? Absolutely not. Can you train like a world-class athlete? For sure. Will, will you have the same athletic prowess as somebody else? No. Even if you train the exact same way, there's a certain genetic predisposition that allows you to have a certain advantage. And then, go ahead. And I'm not sure if yes. there's a genetic predisposition as much as it's uh, an openness or a willingness in but, some okay, cases. Isn't it, but possibly, isn't your openness and willingness part of that pre- genetic predisposition? I don't know. Okay, let's let's carry on because there's th- this this next bit will address okay. some of these questions. Sure. But I want to interject. Who's the? There, wasn't there a um, a what do you call it? A sprinter? Who was the sprinter? He was Canadian, wasn't he? He won a hundred meter. Um, a few years ago and he was somebody who he wasn't the best sprinter he was a small guy and he i remember watching the the video footage of him talking about his history and training and um he was never the fastest he trained like an animal okay and he ended up succeeding so he didn't really have a natural you know like any any kind of gift well i'm not saying when when i say gift i i'm not i'm not implying that things just come naturally and there's no work that's involved i have lady when, gaga when, born this way in my head when i when i say gift i'm saying there is this 
genetic predisposition that puts you at an advantage for whatever this thing is. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, that has that's to what be I'm talking there about. for so, athletics. Exactly. That has to be there for, so for something like athletics, like someone that's someone genetically is predisposed to having more fast twitch muscle fibers, they will excel at certain types of sports than anybody else. Hence, when you take a look at a hundred meter sprint, is it is it is it any strangeness when I see just nothing but African Americans on the start line? Of course, because there's a genetic predisposition for you to excel at this type of sport. But I mean, just because you have that genetic predisposition doesn't guarantee any type of success in this. So it's a combination of the two. But someone who doesn't have that genetic predisposition, mm, are you going to have that same capability? You probably won't. The only reason I'm saying it might be different in what we're talking about here with Nancy is that it's really much harder to qualify in this case. Like, okay. Yes, we, I agree. The, the yes. physical body, yes, we can right. look at things like fast twist, switch muscle okay. fibers. When it comes to something like just being perceptive to you know, or like uh, your senses are heightened, whatever senses they may be, you're ah, having some sort of extra that's perception. Not a, that's it's, not a genetic predisposition that I, your senses are heightened. But I don't know. She might know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just a guy that talks a lot of shit. somebody who was born blind. Mm-hmm, okay. mm-hmm. You're born blind. Yep. Um, chances are your sense of hearing uh, will become more acute. Your sense of okay. smell may become more acute. I'm your proud. other senses may become more acute, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what if you were uh, born into a family whose parents argued and fought every single night? And the way you were able to feel safe in the world was to block out the, what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that manifests, that habit, right, that learned survival skill right. shows up as um, like attention deficit disorder or some kind of, uh, you know, um, hearing loss even. So it's it's kind of like we're all born with, most of us anyway, are born with all of these senses, naturally. These senses function pretty much the same way for everybody. But based on your early life experiences, mm-hmm. you start to create filters. Right. So you create these filters and maybe some senses become more acute. So someone who, again, is born, maybe who has some traumatic event or, um, you know, some early life experience that gives them a hypervigilant um, attitude, all of their senses might be heightened and everything perceived visually might become a threat. You know, so the way our senses develop are different from person to person. Absolutely. And so when you get to the point of, let's say, you're you're working with your hands, right? If you are still and receptive enough, this is why they call it osteopathic listening, right? So this listening, this deep listening with your hands is simply the ability to be still. So, you know, Mark, you move around a lot. <laughs> You're like, you know, (laughs) you're a little restless. Mm -hmm. So I would guess that stillness may be not your favorite thing, right? Mm -hmm. That's true. Right? So um, then you would not naturally be drawn to techniques that require um, stillness because it's difficult. It could be, it's just uncomfortable. You don't, you don't enjoy it. So this is my, this is my point. That's my point. Okay. But Mark, let's say, let's say you, um, 
you, uh, I don't, how can I say this? Um, let's say you get, uh, you hit a roadblock with okay. the techniques you have. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. can't imagine that because you probably have a gazillion techniques at your disposal and you're a very proficient <laughs> and successful therapist, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say you were kind of like something really bothered you about, like you couldn't quite get why certain people don't respond well to this technique versus this technique. If you dig deep enough, you might need to venture into this territory of the unknown. (laughs) How can I develop these senses? Okay. So that brings me to. So wait, wait, wait. Can everybody develop those senses? That's my question. Can absolutely everybody. Everybody can who wants to. Mm. So even though. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. Right, 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 right. You can absolutely develop them. And the the most sophisticated way of developing them that I have found so far is in martial arts. So I ended up um, finding this teacher in California who is uh, he trained he was a, a medical doctor in in um, the US who traveled all throughout China, you know, learning Tai Chi and Kung Fu and and Qigong. And he had all kinds of um, martial arts schools. And uh, he ended up training to be a Chinese medicine doctor at a hospital in Beijing. And he wrote um, five books of this thick, right? So 600 pages each just on... uh, medical qigong therapy which is chinese energetic medicine yeah so this is a branch of um chinese medicine that predates acupuncture right so the four branches would be the medical qigong which is the oldest and then acupuncture herb therapy and massage so actually massage you know it's very old it's nothing new we're not inventing anything new here right when we're doing massage therapy so uh, anyway, this, this man, uh, was practicing, um, this therapy in, uh, an oncology clinic. So he was working with cancer patients alongside surgeons and, and cancer doctors in a hospital in Beijing. And then he was encouraged to, to teach this in the West. So I'm kind of like, you know, uh, I'm learning from one of his senior students, but basically if you look at martial arts training, What he has um, discovered that however you train, you can use the, the, especially in Qigong, so we're talking about energy cultivation, um, some of these old energetic cultivation techniques you can use for either martial arts or medical arts or mystical arts. So I have been practicing, uh, so I was already sensitive and already working with, energetic work in kind of an intuitive way and kind of a, a pared down version of this. But after I started doing the training and doing the meditations and the exercises, actually my, 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 my assessment skill in this work actually became way more specific and accurate. Even more so than when you when you just learned the cranial sacral. Yes. And so not only that, but this is part of the system. So in order to do like energetic work in this way, working with the tissues of the body, right, in the scope of my practice, you know, the, it's the training that I do to cultivate these um these senses and to evaluate 
my perceptions and to apply that clinically, it can be trained. And so this is the thing that frustrates me when I hear, you know, about massage therapists, you know, doing Reiki, which, you know, here's an unpopular opinion, but it's a made up energy system, right? And so it's not specific. You don't assess any tissues, right? So like, I, I don't, I don't understand. I, I was attuned to Reiki and I'm like, what do I even do with this? I don't even know what this is for. Was your, was your concern that you don't know what it's for? You don't know how to use it. Was it that this isn't really within our scope of practice? Like where was your hesitation with Reiki? All of that. All it of was it. like, if I'm going to do a, a technique, I need to understand why I'm doing it, what it's doing and whether or not that's the right thing to do. And what are the results, right? What are the results? So I have to be able to monitor this. And so I gravitated toward this other work because actually it gave me like a method and it's very methodical. You apply it just like you would doing a, a like a manual therapy assessment and treatment. So what I'm trying to say is that, you know, I didn't come to this work uh with any fanciful ideas that I was gifted or there was a specialness about it. It was that I have these ordinary senses that are picking up on this information. So maybe I need to figure out what to do with it. And it, as it ends up, if you're really sensitive, you know, and you haven't trained your senses in a certain way, you might get bombarded with all kinds of information. You know what I mean? Too much information. Mm -hmm. And then then what? Right? Then these are the people walking around who are open, who are telling, you know, people in the general public that their dead grandmother says hello, and, <laughs> you know, all kinds of other things that freak people out. Mm -hmm. And really, it's just a matter of um, developing your your natural sensory abilities that you have. But not everybody wants to do the work. So that's the second piece. If you want to be a star athlete, if you want to be successful, you have to train your ass off, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? It's no different with this work. If you want to be um, a destination therapist, you have to take all of Mark's classes. <laughs> we did not ask Con her to classes. say that. Mm -hmm. She is not paid by Con Ed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but this is what I mean. Is like if you really want to succeed, you got to spend the dollars, you got to put in your time and you have to do the work. So you can't just rest on, you know, like some naturally developing intuitive sense. So that's why you say that's why you say it's bullshit. Like people having these gifts or whatever, you think that sure, there are people who maybe have some sort of acute senses for whatever reason, but whether that's what genetic I call the, predisposition. That's what I call the gift, yes. by the way. But what Nancy's saying is whether it's genetic predisposition, right. it's uh, nurture, it's a combination of both, right. whatever those senses are, you have to learn how to use them, Absolutely. you have to do training and develop them, sure. otherwise you're just getting all this information, you don't know what to do with it, and you mm -hmm. might possibly be causing people harm because you're just spewing shit that you don't even understand yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you are taking, this is very interesting to me, Nancy, because you are taking a logical and scientific approach to what a lot of people have just put into a spiritual a spiritual practice. And this term energy, like you said, is thrown around. And I, I've said it probably before on the podcast where I'm like, I've had 
energy. I'm putting in air quotes. I've had energy work done. Do I understand what they're doing? No. I want to know before you go, I know you have much more to say, but I want to know what does an assessment and treatment with Nancy look like? So uh, I started about a year ago, my initial assessment and treatments, 90 minutes. And that's because the people who um, are coming to see me, uh, sometimes they have a lot going on. And I ask a lot of questions. So my health history is very thorough. And, uh, you know, I want to know really what's bothering them and how it's bothering them and what their expectations are. You know, Um, we go into a lot of detail and then they get a nice long treatment with any luck. Like if the health history doesn't take so long, then they get a nice long treatment. And so what I'm doing these days is uh, the first treatment, the person is fully clothed in comfortable clothing most of the time, face up on the table. And then um, I will do an energetic assessment first. So um, what that means is I'm, I'm interested in right now. So at this phase of my training and the work that I'm doing, this is how I do it now. It's probably going to change because my interest is within our scope. My interest is what areas of the body is their um, congestion and what areas of the body are feeling depleted. And what I mean by that is where, where is the, um, the radiance, the sort of uh, vitality in the body very, very weak and where is it way strong? And Usually what happens after I do that assessment, I'll do like some purgation techniques, which um, just help to remove some of the the excess um, energy in these areas. And then uh, I can do some just easy chi emission um, therapy to uh, help their system regulate it. Okay, Do so you know what any of this means, Mark? I'm, I'm following probably about a good. It's kind of think of it of like um, stretching and toning, right? Okay. So um, it's kind of like you want a muscle and a joint to have a certain amount of flexibility and range of motion, you know, especially if it's uh, weakened in a certain area before you do a strengthening program. Okay, it's not any different, but I'm doing a little bit of that, and then that gives me information about the specific structures that are affected energetically. Okay. So energetically could mean um, an organ system. It could mean um, anywhere along uh, some of the deeper meridians in the body, because think of it like acupuncture, but without needles, right? Acupuncture, but the assessment and treatment is using my hands. Mm -hmm. And so um, after this assessment, what I'll often do then is do like uh, an osteopathic assessment. So a listening assessment. So I'll use my hands to identify like tension patterns in the body and then where the boss restriction is. So where's the big bully area that is sucking everything into, right? And so there's usually a couple of areas that um, might show up as significant and they often overlap with the energetic congestion also. So it's, it's kind of like, um, between the the health intake and the energetic assessment and then the physical assessment 
you know, we're just getting closer and closer and closer to the the issue that is the real big problematic piece that we need to start with that day. And then I will use whatever techniques the tissue demands. So it could be Swedish massage. It could be, um, you know, some kind of uh, joint maneuver, or it could be working directly with the spine, with areas that are restricted. It could be uh, mobilizing the liver. It could be, you know, it could be any number of things in the cranial visceral stream. And, um, and then by the end of it, or during, I just keep reassessing. So I want to make sure that what I'm doing is having the effect that I'm intending. And then I want to make sure that their system is, is regulated. So I keep, you know, asking the client about their impressions and actually, you know, patients in my clinic anyway, they're a lot more sensitive than people think. Like your patients may be perceiving sensations, right, in their bodies in ways that you're not even aware of. So when we talk about these natural sensitivities, right, some people are are actually quite sensitive and they can feel everything you're doing, even energetically. You know, well, if you've had an energetic session, you know there's something going on, right? But if you ask your therapist or whoever's doing it, what's what's that sensation? What are you doing? Would they be able to tell you? I don't know. I, I would. Know. <laughs> if, you, if you had a sensation somewhere, I'd be able to to let you know what I'm working on and, and why that could be that sensation could be showing up in that way. I have two questions for you before I forget. Okay. One, what are your clinical outcomes? Like I want to know if I were a patient of yours, is if I were to come for an appointment with you for X, Y, and Z, would I feel results immediately? Would I feel different when I left? Um, I mean, I, I know there's obviously a variability to this. Not everybody's going to react to things the same way. But are you seeing very positive clinical outcomes using this very unique approach of the energetic aspect, but within the scope of practice and making sure that you're assessing tissue still and trying to like bridge these two things together? What are your outcomes like? Okay, it's this is a difficult question because of course I always want um the the results as soon as possible, as comfortably as possible for that person. Always. Mm-hmm. It's always the goal. Is that I don't want to keep working on this person for six months. Of course. You know what I mean? Of course. So um all of this is about efficiency. So it depends on the person. And this is where if, if we're talking about spirituality in a way that um, could be considered like your what motivates you subconsciously or non-consciously, you know, mm-hmm. like what your really deep inner motivations are, you know, some people show up and each one of you have had these patients where they show up. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I, I have to get relief from this. Mm-hmm. And then they show up and it's like massaging this, pic- like a picnic table. Mm-hmm. You can't get in, even though they showed up desperate and they want help. You can't, you can't even get in. Right. And so it's not, so uh, what some massage therapists might do is say, oh, you're not like, you're not going to let me in. Well, I'll just have to go deeper, harder, you know, Um. Like you're, you, you talked about working on uh, a bodybuilder in one of these uh, interviews 
and you know how he was so sensitive like you were yeah this massive muscly person i thought he was gonna cry yeah you thought he was gonna (laughs) cry right and it's kind of like okay well there's this idea then that all of these these tight muscles and fascia and whatever is going on you know i need to mobilize this in order to give them relief but that's not what that guy really needed right so what he needed was something a little bit more uh superficial physically mm-hmm. but more contact like human contact like some a different kind of connection and uh that's what it feels like to me when you talked about that i kind of went oh okay i, I know how i would work with that person i can see that i mean i haven't seen that guy in probably eight years but i can yeah. see that so or they could use like even gentle jo- joint mobilizations or you know some other things so um, when people come in, like that's another part of the assessment is sort of knowing, and this comes with practice and it comes with intuition too. Knowing what the person in front of you needs. They're telling you one story. Their health history tells you one story, but you get them on the table and everything about them is telling you a completely different story. So it's kind of like, okay, you have to then negotiate, get consent for maybe changing things up, you know, working a different way. I always ask, I want, I always tell somebody, this is kind of what I think might work. And sometimes that means straight up Swedish massage. Because if a person isn't sensitive to the energy, or if there's emotional uh, guarding, like they're really emotionally guarded, you know, or personally guarded, the energy work isn't going to work. You're somewhat answering my next question, actually, which was, do you create this expectation for your patients? Like when people come to see you, Nancy, Mm. do they know that they're coming to see somebody who isn't just going to assess their tissues in a mechanical way? Of course, all of us understand this whole biopsychosocial aspect, Mm -hmm. but majority of us still practice in a way that is a little bit more uh, physical and mechanically based because that's, you know, we're manual therapists. Do people who are coming to see you know that it's going to include possibly this energetic and or spiritual aspect? Is that, you know, something that people know about you? Or do you sort of work people into that once they're in front of you? Yeah, it's, it's, I get all kinds of things. I mean, I'm still working with young athletes, you know, like there's a lot, I have a lot of friends who have kids who are in sports and because I've had so many sports injuries as a kid, like I can't, maybe that's why they keep coming. So I, I do work a lot with youth and uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to do energy work on a young athlete because that's not what they're there for. Right. Um, however, there are some kids who come to me who have a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. or who um, have experienced a trauma. And so um, although I might not do the energy work in the same way as to freak them out, you know, I will still be sensitive to what's going on while I'm doing a gentler form of manual therapy. So it really is about how do I, how do I modify my skills for what this person needs and how do I, uh, meet their expectations realistically? Because some, some people all also show up knowing that I do this energy work mm-hmm. and they show up almost like it's, it's like a challenge, like we're having a grudge match. Energetically. Oh, oh, And I'm like, look, 
you know, this isn't how this goes. <laughs> like, this isn't how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sometimes people come because they do know I do that work, but then actually that's not what's needed. So it's, it really depends. It's, it's very much, um, you know, uh, no different than having like a huge collection of techniques at my disposal. So do you have a pretty eclectic, do you have a pretty, like, do you have a pretty, um, eclectic clientele like do you treat people from most, most all over from all over the place like you don't really have like so much of a niche not, market yeah. right yeah so i have um i really love working with um active seniors i love working with seniors that was like my first job i was just talking about this today i was teaching business today and i worked yeah. in a neighborhood where i had two groups of people i mean there was others but predominantly there were retired seniors who were either like avid squash players or golfers yeah. it was a very um it was a very affluent neighborhood so you know a bunch of retired people with a lot of money that were you know going skiing in all of the most expensive places and golfing and all of the best yeah. courses and I have to say, I actually really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's a small, a small like portion too, just because of the region that I'm in, there's a lot of re- retirees. So yeah. active retired seniors is great, but they're not necessarily the ones getting the energy work. Right. The ones who come in who really want it or really need it are like usually um, moms that are either, um, like divorced or really at the end of their rope with work or managing a chronic disease or are just experiencing a pain condition that's not getting resolved with conventional medical approaches mm-hmm. or you know what i mean there's there's a lot of a lot of younger people are getting more chronically ill this is what it seems like to me and actually one of my patients who works with um Alzheimer's and dementia uh, patients said that they're seeing the incidence of of that earlier and earlier. So there's a huge number of uh, people in their 50s who are um, having the onset of uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. That's what they're seeing. So work like craniosacral therapy is brilliant for um, working with the the brain, in particular mm-hmm. the the fluid environment of the brain, and um, Energy work is great for any stress-related condition. Yep. I have an appointment coming up with um, a friend of mine who is an energy worker, and uh, she she feels, and I, when I'm saying she feels, it's not that I disagree with her. It's just maybe I'm not recognizing it in myself. She feels that, uh, I guess, dealing with all of this COVID nonsense and the stress, she feels that I have symptoms of PTSD. And so we have an appointment coming up to deal with my PTSD. You know, this, this, um, I, I actually understand that because this is how insidious this type of stress can be. And, uh, I don't know about you guys, but if you've been treating, um, patients who maybe you've been treating them for years and then they show up in the middle of COVID or after, and it's like their body's completely different. And their skin. Like they're different. They're different people. Yeah. And they're so confused about their symptoms. Yep. Right. They're really confused. And I'll say, well, let's not be confused. Let's understand that these are non-ordinary times 
that are demanding really bizarre and like unexpected. Um, and you know, the, these are things we have to deal with that ha- haven't been dealt with before on a mass level. So if your body's acting a little fucked up, like let's just be okay with that for a while and mm-hmm. try to, you know, understand that it's, it's going to, you know, you'll be okay. And you Mm -hmm. just need a little bit more time. It is pretty wild. Like the physical symptoms that have come out in the last year and a half for a lot of people, myself included, like I will have an unexplained pain so bad in like my calcaneus that I can't walk Mm -hmm. for a couple of hours. And physically we can't necessarily find anything that is the problem. But that's where, like I said, I, I I put I put faith in the people I know that do energy work because I'm like, if physically everything seems okay, but I can barely walk with this pain, there's something else. Yeah, what's that about? So, you know, it's worthwhile exploring exploring that avenue mm-hmm. and then see what happens. And that's, you know, when you say, you know, about clinical expectations and outcomes, um, you know, I don't know. Do you know? Who know? I don't know, but I trust the process. And, you know, one thing that um, I really, really appreciated about uh, Burrell, you know, Burrell, the Burrell Institute. So mm-hmm. someone told me that um, Burrell said that, uh, you know, when you're working in a clinic, right, with people, have fun. <laughs> like, go and be with your clients and have a great time in the clinic. And if any, you know, trust your hands, trust that their bodies are going to show you what to do. And then you just do that. And if you have to look something up or, you know, or investigate it, you can do that after the fact. But just if you can just be with people, you know, and enjoy that time you have with them. And I was just like, yeah, it doesn't have to be, you know, like it doesn't have to be so serious mm-hmm. all the time. And certainly people come in and they're in really rough shape. Some of the people that I work with are have a lot of pain and it's been going on for a long time and nobody can get a handle on it. And actually the things they've been told about it are pretty dismal. And I say, I, I don't know, but I know that there's going to be some change. I said, all I know is that some change will happen here. And then let's just see what happens. Like, I'm just curious. And I don't have to think about it. My hands show me where to go. The techniques speak for themselves. And I just have to follow what I find and do as much as I can in a session. And then their body will do I have to say, I like this expectation, actually. Mm -hmm. You're creating the expectation of, let's... Let's see what I'm finding here. Let's see what I'm feeling. Let's see what you're feeling. Let's do something. Let's create some change. And then afterwards we can, or during and after we can reassess and see, was the change good? Was it not so good? What might we have to do? Like, I like the fact that it's not, um, I know I talk about egos all the time, but it's not that you're like, oh, you have this issue. I know what to do. I got you. You're like, I don't know. I'm going to create some change. I'm going to use the skills I have, figure out what I think is appropriate to do. We will communicate the whole time and let's see what happens. I like that narrative. That is a fun way to work because you go in curious and you, you'll you be surprised. Like, you, you know, I, if I go in with this openness and curiosity, you're surprised at what you find and you may get results that you never expected. And everybody's different. Some people's tissues let go like bing, bang, boom. And it's like, 
awesome. Other people, it's like pulling a bolt through molasses. You're not going to get as much done, I guess you could say, in a treatment with certain people as others. So when people are asking me, well, how many sessions am I going to have to come for? And I said, well, I don't know. I have no idea what how your body is going to respond to what you I'm can doing. tell them. You can tell them what my midwife told me every time I said, how much longer it'll take as long as it takes. As I mean, I, I mean, I wanted to poke her eyeballs out when I was in labor and she kept saying that to me. But afterwards, I appreciated that because it will take as long as it takes. Mm. Yeah. So there's all that effort and then boom, a baby's born. Then you got a baby there, right? And that's kind of how the treatments go sometimes is you're you're doing this slow, methodical work and you're providing support and you're providing relief. And then all of a sudden there's that one treatment where something really shifts for them. And sometimes that shift is a memory or it's an emotional release or sometimes it's just you've made you've you've reorganized the tissue so that the nervous system has no choice but to respond to what it is you're suggesting right that input you're offering the nervous system will finally say oh okay we're going to do that thing now you know and uh you know i i i find it amazing the work is really fun and um you know i the results vary but um, that's not really, I, I feel like that's not up to me. Mm-hmm. Like I have a high expectations for myself as a therapist and I'm just as frustrated at anybody as anybody when um, somebody suffers for a long time, but that's, that's not all up to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I have that's my a good way problem. to look at it. I definitely, do you get frustrated or have you ever had a patient where, what you think is the appropriate treatment intervention isn't producing any kind of result or you're getting results that you didn't expect. Like, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever experienced the frustration of thinking like, I've done what I thought I should do and I'm getting nowhere? Yeah, of course. Do you get frustrated by it or does that not bother you? No, I don't. I don't get frustrated by it. How how come? I get so frustrated. How come that I don't get frustrated? I have a certain skill set. And I operate within that skill set. And if what someone needs is beyond my skill set, it's beyond my skill set. And I don't get frustrated by that. Will you refer out in that case? Absolutely. That, yeah. Those are scenarios where I'm like, you know, what what I can provide you is is not working. And therefore, you probably need something different. And you should probably see somebody else at this point. I refer a lot. Yeah. I yeah. am the master referrer. <laughs> I, one thing I, I I like to do is to really get to know a huge variety as much as possible of therapists in my area, mm-hmm. as far as reputation, just by like either or getting a treatment from them, but also by asking um, the patient, Oh, you're seeing this person. How, how's the treatment going? How long have you been seeing them? Uh, you know, what kind of results have you been getting? Like I kind of ask a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'll look, I'll look into them a little bit too, because um, you know, you want to be able to refer that particular person to the right mm-hmm. person right not just you know you want to actually hand them to somebody who you think is going to be a good fit or who has the skill set that's going to be able to help them the most i'm very aware of what my skill set is mm-hmm. and the branding that i do for the type of therapy that i do so i don't really end up having a whole bunch of clientele that 
it's it's that frustrating thing because That's I have a skill set. You, I attract yeah. people that want or need my skill set, and then we end up with a whole bunch of success. So that yeah. used to happen a lot at the beginning before I was able to communicate what I do and what my skill set is. Yeah, I would say it doesn't happen to me a lot, but I'm not going to lie. There's been a couple of cases. Um, I have a lot of patients who deal with chronic pain. And I know there's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about the ins and outs of chronic pain. And I like to think that I have the skill set to deal with people with chronic pain. And in the past couple of years, I've had two patients in particular. I can, they both come to mind that I was at a loss. I didn't even know where to refer, what the issue was. And it was honestly, super frustrating because I wanted to be able to help these people. And I didn't want to be another because uh, I know in one of our communications, Nancy, you said sometimes you're the person people go to when they've exhausted other options, like I need help, right? And so these, these two people I'm speaking about had been to multiple practitioners and ended up coming to see me through word of mouth referrals. Like, you know, this is the person that will help you. And it was, I I wanted to be able to help them. And I was like, okay, I know what you've done. I know it hasn't worked and this and this. And I, I got super frustrated with both of them because I just felt like I don't even know where to refer you next. I can't figure this out. And it's, I don't know, maybe I, I need to not take it to heart so much. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but it was super frustrating that I not only could I not help them with my skill set, I didn't even know where to send them next. I was like, I like I'm at a complete loss with what's going on here. I get it. And I have two two well you're talking about that two kind of scenarios um play out frequently in these cases. And the one scenario is this idea of a secondary benefit of the pain. So have you heard of this, a secondary benefit of a disease or illness? So this is where the biopsychosocial model comes into play, where a person does have a valid disorder of some sort, and yes, there's pain. But if they become, you know how like there's a lot of online forums that you can join as like a sufferer of X Mm -hmm. disorder or disease. So somebody gets in with a community there and experiences all kinds of support and encouragement and ideas online. And then maybe they have, um, maybe it's a, a, a spouse, right? So maybe, um, the, the spouse who's ill is all of a sudden now getting, um, all kinds of accommodation and support and attention from their spouse that maybe was lacking in that relationship up to that point or whatever else, or maybe, you know, accommodations at work. So these are all secondary benefits that a person um, sort of non-consciously enjoys and not on purpose, but doesn't necessarily want to give up. So there's a conflict between wanting to be well because the the illness is painful, mm-hmm. and then um, also wanting to be sick if it means they can stay connected to these. That was the piece I forgot to say in my frustration is one of the two that I'm talking about had been told, and I I didn't really like the language. Now, 
this is coming out of her mouth, the patient's mouth. So I don't know if this was exactly the language the practitioners used. Mm -hmm. But she came to me saying basically that three different practitioners, one physiotherapist and two massage therapists, told her that it was psychological, that that was the cause of her pain. And that made her so upset. And she's crying in my office. And I'm thinking, okay, let me see what I could do for you. So I guess the frustration was there was a part of me that wanted to say like, man, it must be in your head because I can't figure this out. Mm -hmm. But then also not knowing enough of how to communicate with this person. So, you know, we we went through a whole bunch of different treatment interventions and this and that. And eventually I just said to her, like, I'm happy to keep seeing you if you feel there's any benefit to this. But at this point, I don't know that there's much more I can do. And she went off to, you know, go try something else. When you when you asked her this stuff, I'm just curious. Did you ask her like what what is the what outcomes do you want from this? Like at the end of our experience together, what do you want to happen? Yes, we had those conversations, and one I'm just thing curious, that what one was thing that answer? kept sticking out to me, and it's probably what led to a lot of my frustration, yeah. is she kept saying to me, like in numerous different ways, she said to me, "You are the only practitioner." who hasn't dismissed my pain. Okay. So I kept feeling this like obligation because I was the only practitioner, I'm putting in air quotes, that hadn't dismissed her pain. So I had this obligation to to deal with this pain that what, I didn't know how to deal what with. What was the answer when you're trying to figure out like what does she what is she hoping to accomplish at the end of the experience? What she was you? hoping to accomplish was to go through what her exact words were, I want to be able to have at least a day with no pain. Okay. What she would say is she would go for treatment and within, I think she would say 90 minutes of the treatment, so do you she was think, back in pain. Do you think that she thinks that she's capable of not being in pain? Do I think that she thinks she's capable is of she, not? Is <laughs> she... Dish, this dish. is hard. No, it's not hard. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to figure out like what is her overall expectation. If her overall expectation is I'm always going to be in pain. I'm always going to be that no, patient. I'm no, always going to. No. Do you know what I mean? She, That's what I want to know. She did not think that she should always be in pain. Okay. She felt that she was being gaslighted by all of these practitioners because when, because when and the that there was an explanation for her pain okay. and it wasn't psychological and, an answer, and, and somebody and, and needed to figure this out. Because even with her response being like, I just hope to get through a day of not being in pain. It almost implies like, I know I'm going to be in pain. I'm going to deal with my pain. I'm just hoping to have some relief of it. But I know ultimately this is what I am. I think any positive outcome she would have been happy with, which is why she stuck with me because after our first uh, appointment together, there was some moves in the right direction mm -hmm. of course we didn't eliminate her pain right but, but I mean, then after that's, that's... multiple treatments they came to a point where there wasn't anything more i could right. do but that, i mean that's part of what i'm saying is like if she's always has the expectation that i'm always going to be in some sort of pain then no matter who she sees she's ultimately going to be in some sort of pain so she's just going through a cycle of seeing people to try to relieve some of the pain but she's always expecting me in something so i don't know i'm just i should probably what stop do you think, smoking Nancy? <laughs> the, the pipe there well th this, this is a very valid and, and frustrating um uh situation right so um if if this person if this if I were you in this scenario, I, I can only think of how I would address it. And Mark has some very, very excellent points. You want to ask more questions because actually you want them to to really think about these questions, mm -hmm. right? Like why why do you think 
that you're going to be in pain after this treatment is right. it because he's had this experience already he says well do you believe and open are open to um having an experience of a painless day right because if you go looking for trouble you're going to find it if you go looking for the pain after a massage you'll probably find it absolutely and so one of the ways in which i had to come to grips with this in my own chronic pain condition cuz i don't get migraines anymore right i i was a migraine sufferer my whole life but it wasn't until i started doing gentler and gentler and gentler forms of therapy but then also a little bit of talk therapy and also when i started uh practicing meditation so the stillness piece um was really important and that inquiry piece was really important for me in understanding how my pain shows up right when my pain shows up how it gets amplified mm-hmm. what happened what what do, what does it feel like when i have to submit to it and what am i so angry about right i cuz i i eventually discovered that you know i had rage issues <laughs> and uh, you know that i successfully managed when i was doing martial arts but you know you can't just go beating the shit out of everybody and the, so i can not have migraines so um <laughs> you know i had to somehow come to terms with um some of the tension in my body that was related to my thinking so the one thing that um isn't well recognized in a clinical practice if you're not really up with the mindfulness research is the amount of tension that gets creates created in the body just from our thinking. Yeah. So if you treat an academic, so if you're treating a university professor or somebody like that. Oh, I have. Right? So it's challenging, right? Because the tension is kind of like it takes them an hour just to settle down just to let their 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 body and mind settle then you can get the work done that's sometimes how i feel so how how you dialogue with a client about um about you know being more uh, aware of what your body is doing when you're thinking right paying more attention even for anybody who's managing um any kind of injury like injury recovery, you know how people tend to, you know, their gait gets affected mm-hmm. after they have like an injury. And, you know, that habit can carry on for years. And then it takes another while to kind of wind out of it. If you if you engage with your body in a different way, understanding how the thinking affects your tension in your body, you probably will remediate a lot of tension related pain. Man, where where were you two to brainstorm when <laughs> I was dealing with this woman? Like we'll figure lis- it out. <laughs> listening to you guys. I was actually now, just in this room. Probably. You were, you were just in this room. <laughs> but like listening to you guys now, see, this is such a learning moment for me. I realized like, yes, I was asking her questions. I should have asked her more questions. Like I should have put more on her to really think about what is happening between her ears, right? Like I, I I was just so focused on everybody else has told her it's in her head. I don't want to just be another practitioner that's telling her it's all in your head. Well, one of my favorite techniques working with people like this is finding that uh, area, the physical restriction or where the tensions kind of, you know, accumulated and just placing my hands there and monitoring the tissue 
while I'm asking them the questions. Yeah. And I knew exactly where that, like that, that part was easy. Figuring out where she was holding the tension, that part was easy. You know what I would have asked if, if I was in there with her, I would have asked her, what do you think they mean when they, when they're telling you it's in your head? Like, I never asked that question. That is a good What is your takeaway from that? That is a good question. How did it make you feel when they said it's all in your head? See that, that I knew, like she would literally just start bawling her eyes out saying like, I'm not crazy. It's not in my head. There's something. And she would say, you know, she would get this validation from her husband, right? Because he would massage her and he would say, oh, I feel these knots. I feel it. So she would sort of guide me, like guide my hands to where uh, she would say like, this is where, did, yes. and she would say, this is where I get my husband to work and right. he'll massage. And we feel, and she would say to me, do you feel the knots? I'm like, no, okay. <laughs> no. That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Right? No. Yeah, Yeah, it's complex, right? So, you know, we're wading into these waters when we start thinking about this biopsychosocial model, but we don't always have like the tools or the, you know, the the practice in what are the appropriate questions to ask that are maintaining boundaries and ethics, right? And this is why I love the podcast, this collaboration, because even when I'm talking to our guests, I'm picking up things that I'm like, shit, I never even looked at it that way. Like I said, just listening to you two talk about the additional questions you might have asked her and how you might have presented things. I'm like, fuck, I'm not going to lie. I'm feeling like a little bit of a failure right now. You know what? (laughs) These questions that you're so liking that are coming out of my mouth, I probably would not have been able to come up with that unless I'm hearing this conversation, to be honest with you. And that's, yeah, that's what I mean is I like this open dialogue in this collaboration with different therapists because there are perspectives from, you know, somebody who does work with energy and, you know, the the biomechanics expert in the room, our registered kinesiologist. And then, you know, I'm sort of like the hybrid in between you. Like, it's so interesting to me to get all of these different perspectives and think about like, I could have treated her so differently. And I wonder what the outcomes would have See, been. This is what I want for a clinic. I don't want it to be practitioner, 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 practitioner. I want a team collective. I want, you're coming in for an assessment. Let's all sit on this assessment. Let's all, you know, get on it. Let's all go back to the drawing board with our lab coats on and the bubbling beakers and let's shoot the the shit on this stuff (laughs) and let's come up with, you know, I know. It's just, I'm living, I'm trying to live the dream here. I remember this, this patient came in many years ago And she said that her daughter is a physiotherapist in the U.S. And she's been, you know, trying to coach her on how to deal with this back pain. She had this pain, mid-back pain. She had, you know, gotten all kinds of treatment, massage, chiropractic, uh, physiotherapy. And she just couldn't um, deal with this pain. And uh, her daughter said, go try to find a craniosacral therapist. They may be able to help. And uh, so when she told me this, I said, okay, well, we can try and see what's going on. And I said, how long has this pain been going on? And she said, oh, a couple years. I said, a couple years? So <laughs> you got all this treatment. It's been a couple of years. Okay. And uh, so I just, you know, we just had this kind of get to know you introductory session. And I came to the spot in her back. and. Um, I knew that it was uh, somehow involving the liver and 
uh, like the liver uh, motility. And I thought, okay. And then her cranial rhythm stopped. So when the cranial rhythm stopped, uh, they call that the significance detector in craniosacral therapy, which usually means that not only is that like a really significant location, but there's likely an emotional, uh, uh, there's, there's something emotional attached to this fixation. And so I wasn't really comfortable at that time, um, dialoguing about these things because I didn't really do a really detailed health history back then like I do now. And so I just hung out with this a little bit and nothing was happening. And I started just asking myself, okay, what, what could this be? What, what could this be? And um, I was trying to mobilize these segments of the spine really gently and they weren't really responding. And I just kept coming up with this idea that um, like a lot of frustration, a lot of frustration. And so I just asked her this question. Um, is there anything going on like in your life right now that is causing you a lot of frustration? And then she just started bawling and I, I, I just let her cry. And then I said, okay, I, I don't um, need to know the details of this frustration, but I just wanted you to know that while you were crying, the tissue was changing. So as she was having this emotional response, the tissue was changing. And she said to me, um, I, I've been retired for two years, but so has my husband. Or my husband just retired and he's driving me nuts. Or there was some like the timeline was, was <laughs> the timeline was convenient as far as when the pain started and the two of them ended up spending a lot of time together. That's frustration. Yeah. His, her husband was um, driving her nuts, she said. And we both started laughing because that was hilarious. And then the, everything just released and everything started moving and it got real soft and there was like blood moving through there. And I was like, after she left, I was like, well, <laughs> another one under, under my belt. Like that was like, dude, one, one session. And so I, it's just funny that this, you know, these little realizations, like sometimes it's just like a tiny little thing. It's like, you know, like a house of cards. I was going to say, can we do something right now? Because I know there's, I know there's a whole bunch of newer therapists that are listening to this right now going, fuck, between what you're hearing now and the podcast that we just released with Shawn Michael, they're probably going, shit, I feel so insignificant in my work. Like, I don't get cases like this, or if or I, I do, know how if I do get cases, cases like this, like this. I, don't know, I, I don't know what these guys know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have these results that these people... Can you guys say something, please, to the new therapist that's listening to this to make them realize, like, you're doing good shit right now i'm with you new therapist nancy <laughs> yes i i i'm behind you 100 percent. so i've been doing this for like 16 years i started with craniosacral therapy very early like in year two or three this has been a long time of doing this work every day and constantly learning and it's funny because I s pay attention to the type of clients you're getting. I will tell new, new, new uh, therapists. If you're getting the same client <laughs> over and over again, like they have similar issues 
or you run into similar roadblocks, that's when you know you need training. You need to go and find that class that is going to give you the education, the anatomy review, or whatever you need in order to be able to work with the clients that are showing up. Just use who's coming into your clinic to guide your education, because that's there's no point in learning anything for nobody that's showing up in your clinic. So whatever's showing up, that's kind of how I, I worked. I was like, I keep getting this, you know, this particular issue. I got to figure this out. What is courses available to me that I can go to, to learn how to address the situation, no matter what it is. You literally just defined strive for all the RMTs right? that are frustrated with the quality then assurance program. you don't have to program. make up a bunch of garbage on strive. You can actually. You, you just broke it down. Actually yeah. pay attention to your clinical practice. What do you need to know? Because there's a billion and one things that we could know. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of things I don't know. There's probably a lot of things Nancy doesn't know, although I'm having trouble figuring out what there's probably there's probably a minute like I still feel brand new and that's the other thing is the more you work with people who have mastery over what they do like the amazing teachers out there who are instructing like I'm just like oh my gosh I have so far to go like Everybody I meet is so amazing. I, I there's like I have colleagues that I get treatment from and I'm like you just figured out something that I have not been able to get a grip on in myself. It's brilliant. And so have a lot of humility, understand where your strengths and weaknesses are, you know, work with, with the population that is seeking, seeking you out. And then just put in your time like yep. everybody else. Exactly. Don't try to be the jack of all trades, right? Try to figure out who you need to serve, what problems they have, and how you can solve them. Um, it's interesting when, you know, we're you were just saying, you know, you feel like a newbie. You feel like, you know, you work with somebody and you're like, wow, how did you figure that out? I remember way back in probably my first or second year of practice, um, a guy that we've had on the podcast, Andre. Okay. Andre had been a therapist, I can't remember how many years by the point that I was a newbie, but he booked a massage with me. And I was nervous as fuck. Like, I do not want to treat this guy because he he had so much additional training and he had been a therapist for so long. And I was like, mm -hmm. I, I just I suddenly got very nervous, like he's going to be judging what I do. And then I remember like the day that he was coming for treatment, I was like, no, don't think that way. Like, I'm just going to treat how I treat, you know, let's see what and I I sort of hyped myself up and I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm confident. I'm going to do this. And I remember having Andre on the table and, you know, just treating him the way that I would have treated him if he was any Joe Schmo off the street. And I remember one comment, him saying, oh my God, I didn't even realize it, but this is exactly what I needed. Like nobody just, and it's because I was actually using I, I don't, for lack of a better term, I was using like the most simple techniques. I was treating him with like very general Swedish techniques that I had learned in school and just sort of trusting my hands. And this is where we need to work now. And this is where we need to work now. And he was like, this is exactly what I needed. And then he rebooked with me the next week. And I remember him leaving and I was like, wow. Like, I need to be a little more confident in myself. So new therapists, mm. if you are listening to You're this, doing good shit. you are doing good shit. You will figure out where you need to improve. 
what courses you might need to take, but have a little bit of faith in yourself because as nervous as you might be to work on somebody who maybe you think is a little more skilled than you are, sometimes even they can learn stuff from you, you know? And so him and I did a couple of trades after that and I think I really needed that. I needed to work on somebody who I looked up to, to realize like, no, I know what I'm doing. I need to trust myself a little bit more. And that's, that's another thing you said too. get treatment guys. If yes. you're an RMT and you're not getting treatment, you, that is so unfortunate. You need it. That's why you got into this industry probably. And you learn a lot. You learn a lot from the, you learn what not to do <laughs> as well as what to do. You know, you learn, you know, what, you know, you're having an experience of touch where you learn a lot about the way you want to work and how, how you want your clients to, to feel when they leave. Very, very valuable um, point you made there. Thank you for that, people. Thank you. I always want I always want the new therapist to not just listen to this and go, what the fuck? I don't fucking know what I'm doing. How do I get to this? I can never see myself getting to this point, blah, blah. I just, I just want a new therapist to, especially because yeah. I run into new therapists all the fucking time. And instead of looking at it that way, because I'm not going to lie, you know, sitting with Shawn Michael last week or sitting with you tonight, Nancy, there's definitely things that I'm picking up from you and there's things I've picked up from him that I'm like, wow, I never really looked at it that way. It is a practice. You know, as Nancy said, 16 years in, she's still learning things. I'm still learning things. So if you're a brand new therapist and you think you know nothing, don't worry. We all kind of know nothing. <laughs> but we know things at the same time, yeah. right? The like ones it. that you have to worry about are the ones they think they got it all figured out. That's that's the, <laughs> you know, that's the part that um, you want to be wary of, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, Absolutely. I have had some really garbage treatments Um from people who I thought were going to be really brilliant because they look good on paper mm. and it was awful. And um, I have another story. You want to hear some other gossipy story? Yeah, absolutely. I like gossip. Okay. So um, <laughs> you're in the right place. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, um, so here, here's something. So what, one of the, um, the visceral manipulation classes I did, it may, I can't remember which one it was, but there were four of them and it was with my favorite uh, instructor and um, he was an interesting guy and he was a really good therapist. He was a physiotherapist for like 40 some odd years. And he does a ton of this work and has a really great um, practice. And he's a great teacher. And it was a pretty big class. And there were a ton of um, osteopathic manual practitioners in it. There were a bunch of physios in it. There were a bunch of massage therapists in it. And um, I was sitting with uh, a great physiotherapist who we ended up be, like really working well together. And we decided to take another class at the same time so we could be lab partners. So we learned a lot from each other because her approach to the work as a physio was like a lot quicker than like my work as a massage therapist. So she always said, because I don't have so much time with people, I've had to figure out how to do this really fast. And she said, but I really want to do it more like you do it. <laughs> like you do it a lot slower. I feel like that's exactly what your physio friend said to me 
when she was working on me because I was like, wow. And she said, because I don't get to spend as much time with my clients as you do, I've learned to do things really fast because she was working on um, like my sacrum. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I, I just was commenting on, you know, I do similar techniques, but in a much slower. And she was like, I've learned to do things very fast. Yeah. Well, I think that now that you're talking about it, I think this is, was the pelvic class because she was reefing on my uterus like nobody's business. And so that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was kind of like, Oh my God, what are you doing to me? And mm. then, um, but it, it was great. It was a great thing, but it was just really felt violent to me, but it was, it was a little offensive. violent, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was a little violent. So um, anyway, but we were sitting there because we were pretty quick with the, the, the lab and, you know, we had both done craniosacral therapy training before. So the visceral work, you know, our palpation abilities were pretty good and, and we got through the, the labs really um, fairly soon. And, um, earlier in this, uh, earlier in this class, we had, we were broken up into groups with everybody mixed together to do a little presentation on some organ anatomy, just to get like a fun way to get everybody up to date. And so we were in this group and there was, I think three massage therapists and an, one of the osteopathic manual practitioners that all stayed together in a clump in the back of the room mm. and this we were the massage therapists we were kind of funny because we were like okay we got to remember the anatomy of large intestine or something we were I don't know what we were working on but this osteopath who was I think a fairly new graduate um he was he was so arrogant and he was like but rattling off all the anatomy like the ligaments and everything mm -hmm. and we were like okay that's that's really, that's really great. All right. I guess you're going to present the, uh, <laughs> <do> the presentation <laughs> and all right, so let's get to work. But um, what ended up happening is every time we were done our labs, we would just sort of look around and see what people were doing. Cause maybe we could hop in on somebody's action and see what's going on. But we looked over and those osteopaths, they looked so lost and we were watching it and we're like, what the, F are they doing like what are they doing over there and, and they were just they weren't really they weren't really paying attention and they seemed to be struggling with landmarking and I thought what's going on mm. so anyway we saw the teacher go over have a little conversation with them and then he comes walking up at the front of the room and he says okay can I have everyone's attention and he said look I know that there are a lot of you who um you know just came out of school maybe and maybe you haven't really um given a second thought to craniosacral therapy as a viable modality for whatever reason and he said but i encourage you if you who how many of you have taken cranial one at least and so like a third of the the group put their hands up and none of those osteos did and uh he said I would encourage you go take cranial one. He said, because what's going to happen is it's going to help you with this type of palpation that's needed in order to do this work. He said, because, you know, the people that I'm observing and working with who have done cranial one, right. Have no problem with this, mm -hmm. but the rest of you, you need some practice. So go take cranial one. And so we were sitting there going, Oh, like, you know, one thing I want to impress upon new graduates, right, is that academic and intellectual 
skill does not necessarily translate into skillful hands. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're not learning with your hands and practicing with your hands, you can read all the textbooks you want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not going to get the results that you want. So fair warning, right? If you need to refine your palpation skills, do more of that type of work or training, right? So I don't know how, like if you're doing that in, in the um, Con Ed Institute, how you're helping people refine their palpation. But I remember in massage therapy school, we did, we, our palpation class was at the end of the two years. Oh, it was somewhere weird. That in seems the backwards. <laughs> I know. And I just thought, why are we doing this now? These are, this is what I needed last mm -hmm. year. Yeah. We needed to start there and then everything builds on that. And so, you know, I think that, uh, like when we talk about, you know, you don't feel things or I, I can't perceive things or, you know, all these extra senses, like even the, even someone who's unregulated, who hasn't had massage therapy training can have really sensitive palpation Absolutely. skills mm -hmm. and can find restrictions in your body, even though you might not know anatomically what exactly you're on. You can go and look that shit up. Mm -hmm. yep. So when you're working with um, a patient, right, do, do the work. But if there's something you're not sure about, even though you're not quite sure what it is, but you can feel it, then go look it up afterwards, right? And then use that to build on your palpation skills because you can get really, really super duper specific with your palpation deep inside the body and um you know it, it, having the techniques to be able to work with those types of restrictions yes you'll need to do that but um academic knowledge alone is not going to help you with that at all so keep practicing on your friends get lots of treatment i am more so impressed about the fact that there's a lot of i know a lot of therapists obviously you know that we talk to a lot of therapists mm -hmm. and Everything you have said tonight, Nancy, you're from right from the start of deciding to go to massage therapy school and why you decided to do it. Like you have thrown yourself into this and you're mm -hmm. like, everything I find, like, I don't care what time commitment there is, what energy I have to put into it. Um, if I have to spend money, this is significant. I want to figure it out. And I think that really is if there's a secret that we can give to newer therapists. It's just trust what you're seeing, what you're feeling and do the work. You know, it's not just once you graduate from massage college, you're ready to go and you know how to treat everybody. You're going to encounter a lot of cases. As I said, I still do 10 years into practice. You encounter cases that you're not 100% sure how to handle them. If that is the majority of your cases, step back and figure out what more do I need to learn? There's so many more things that we can learn. I'm I'm really curious about Mark's um, treatments. Um, <laughs> I I wanna. I'm kind of curious who your your <laughs> patients are, your approach to treatment, and um, what you love about it. Like what you love about the work itself. Being what, what being that you're a listener, you know he hates to be put on the spot, right? This is amazing. I'm well, so I know happy. He's I'm so lot. happy right I, now. Um, <laughs> I don't know, you know, because you don't see him, you don't know what he's doing, but um I'm watching him. I'm watching you, Mark, and uh I'm, I'm kind of curious about it. 
What do you love? What is it? What is it that you get really excited about during a work week? I don't even know if I can answer that anymore. I think I think I've warped so much in the last three years in where I've been, like what my focus has been on, and and the people that I'm trying to, like generally what my mission is. You've definitely it's, pivoted it's more place. towards the education side. You've been treating a lot less. Yeah, I treat a way less than I used to. And I don't know why. I I do know why. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a liar. <laughs> okay, I, I go through cycles of of shit basically where I really love doing something and then I go full force into it and then I'm like I fucking hate doing this and then I want to pull back and find something else. And that's why I kind of love this 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 field where I can there's so many things that I can do in this field, stay in this field, but throw like you know 100% over here and just do that until I'm sick of it and then go over here and 100%. So I I don't get off on doing treatments like crazy anymore. Therefore, I don't. I don't. I don't. I think I would be ripping somebody off, and, and if I'm not giving it my all, and most of the time lately, I I don't want to give it my all, so I've pulled back from treating, and that's another reason why I'm like, I think I'll just go inactive, like fully take myself out of the the treatment space for a little bit because I just it's I I don't have the same passion and drive for it as I did, but he, I know it'll come used, back in circles. He used but, to go through very yeah. regular um, ups and downs when it came to, you know, he'd go through a period where he's like, I just love treating. And yeah. then he'd throw himself into that. And then it was like, okay, I'm going to pull back a little bit because education has always been a part of what he does. Right. And then he'd go back into, oh, I just love, you know, the clients I'm working with right now and I love treating. But yeah, the last few years I've noticed your... It's it's got to be like so. For example, I've referred a couple people to him where I'm like I'm throwing my hands in the air. I've got nothing left. Mark, let me see what you can do. You like to take on some of those cases sometimes, yeah. where it's yeah. like I don't know what to do. Give me your input. So I know that he likes that collaboration piece where he's like, okay, let me see what I can do. Right. Um, and I also like the client that is just like, do whatever the hell you nah. need to do. Yes. Because yep. that that that's when I that's when I'm 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 the happiest where I've got full reins and I can go nuts. So I'm like, oh, okay, we're going on the floor right now. We're back on the table. Okay, let's get the bands out. We're doing some hardcore stability work for your for your knee or whatever the case. And we're back on the table. And then we're back on the floor. Like I like to be able to all over the map like that. But not everyone wants is willing to just let me run with it. And therefore, I don't fucking want to treat you. I mean, <laughs> as horrible as that sounds, that's the way it is for me, right? You know, I don't know. It's it's that really sounded bad, but whatever. That's the way it is. I, but I don't think it sounds bad it because at least I can recognize you what rec I am. Yes, you recognize that you're not the therapist for majority of people. Actually, no, I'm in not. the last few years, he's actually become the therapist. Therapist. Yes, it's the RMTs who don't get regular treatment, like how you were just saying, Nancy. That if you're a therapist, you should be getting treated. It's how you learn. It's how you improve. Plus, we need it. Yeah. Most therapists, honestly, you know, it's a running joke amongst all of us. Such a cliche. Where we're like, we're the worst. We never get. I treated. think the last the last ten treatments I did, eight of them were therapists. all RMTs. They were all yeah, RMTs. Wow. yeah. He's become the therapist's therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm all well. That 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 makes sense because you're also um, mentoring them too, right? So, and that's that's a very important role. Um, and uh, I think you know if I think it's great to to take a pause 
um, if you're not feeling it? Yeah. Why would you do it if you if you're resisting well, it? I'm I'm also I'm also in a spot financially that I have the luxury of doing that. Not yeah. everyone does. Like I can afford to recognize. I've kind of checked out a little bit, and it would be really unethical for me to keep going. And I can afford to be like, okay, I'm going to pause on this because that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know a lot. <laughs> the teaching piece is a really nice break. Um, I, I I didn't mention this before, but I also, um, while I teach uh, mindfulness uh, meditation practice mm-hmm. and sometimes clinically for people to help them manage pain, um, and other issues, but, uh, I really love, I love that little teaching piece. So I might do two courses a year and it's like two hours over six weeks. And that's just a nice break where maybe I won't take as many clients that week, right? Because I'm doing the teaching and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great way to reflect on the practice too. So, um, that's really fun. Um, but no, I'm pretty jazzed up about the treatment. I, I, um, I don't often get, uh, like fatigued, like that kind of like tapping out kind of fatigue, you know, like I'm just done with this, but I've also Mark, I've really, um, I've, uh, managed to like, when I say arrange my clinical practice in a way where the people that really need what I do, those are the people that show up. Mm-hmm. And I'm very quick to refer or weed out people who just, um, they're, they're not, they're, it's, it's, they're not going to get, get any help from me. That yeah. is the goal. And that is the dream, Nancy. We're teaching yeah. business tomorrow. Yeah. And that is the takeaway mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. give to therapists, you know, is that you can't be everything to everybody. And you, you shouldn't want and to you be shouldn't everything want, to Exactly. Everybody. You no. want to figure out who are the people that you can best serve and that you want to work with that bring joy to your job and that make you a better therapist. And once you figure that out and you start putting your energy into that, those are the people that come to you. And then you have a fucking thriving amazing practice and you're happy and you know it brings us back to the very beginning of this episode where I asked the question Nancy how did you create a job that allowed you to have the life you wanted it was something you you said something about I want to be able to do this for as long as I possibly can and I think over the last whatever 90 minutes that we've been talking you've answered that you figured out who are the people that are coming to see me what do I need to know to help them? And you've obviously created some sort of recognition in your community of people who know that this is the person I need to go to when mm-hmm. I have these issues. So the, the business piece is really important too. Um, you know, I've always been in a private clinic. So I've always been the one who's had to do everything mm-hmm. and including, you know, you got to ask for payment and you have to... S- I do everything, you know, laundry, yep. cleaning, all of it. So it's always been up to me. And basically, um, the way I look at it is I need to have um, an easy day. Like I, I don't want to take on more clients than I can manage so that I, you know, end up physically depleted. I, I have limits. So it means that I'm not raking in the dough because I am an older practitioner you know, I have like the, this headache migraine thing is un, under management because I don't overwork 
and I know my limits, but also I'm not going to take on the clients who don't show up. I'm not going to take on like I've, I had a client recently, a new, a new somebody book who was new. I take um, credit. They have to book with a credit card online. And if they don't show up that they're paying for it, like, period. And I don't, that's clearly communicated and that's the way it goes. And so, you know, if, if people have problem with that, then I'm not the clinic for them. Maybe other clinics will put up with that shit, but I can't do it Mm -hmm. because it's just me here. So, um, there's that. And actually that person was a business owner. So you know what? Up yours. It's (laughs) charged for it. Like you should know better than to give me you know, the gears about it. So that happens. Also people who really play fast and loose with control issues over their time and my time. So there are certain personality types that feel like they can show up 15 minutes late and I'll just work on them for the rest of the time because they, you know, had a meeting because they're busy, busy in, in their business too. And uh, my policy is if you're more than 15 minutes late, I'm not obligated to treat you. You know, you can reschedule, but that's it. So I can lock up my clinic and walk out and they'll show up to an empty clinic or I'll, you know, I just won't do it. And so those types of issues, you know, like um, I just don't have the, the desire to nurture somebody who exhibits those types of behaviors. That's something that their husbands or their wives or their bosses or whoever can deal with. (laughs) In my clinic, my rules. So there's a code of conduct, I think, that is expected from people. Because when you come in, like, I'm giving you a whole lot of attention. Like, you're 100%. There's nobody else in the clinic. It's just me and the patient. And, you know, this time is yours. And in order to have that kind of relaxed environment where we can do this work um, and really feel comfortable doing it, you know, it has to run a certain way. You know, I can't have people like making up rules for themselves in my space. It's just not going to happen. So, um, you know, they, they just end up getting discharged. They get a formal discharge letter. I've only had to do that a few times in my career. but. They get the point. We we did an episode on have you ever had to fire a client, didn't we? Yeah, I remember. I remember getting real hot and bothered about it. <laughs> I remember that. And it's never comfortable to do. It's always awkward. I always feel kind of like agitated about it. But that's the point is I don't want to be in a position to have to treat a client in a state of agitation. It doesn't help either of us. Mm-hmm. So if someone's disturbing my peace... They got to go. Yep. I like it. And again, new therapists, if you're listening to this and thinking, I could never do that. Give it, give it time. Give it time. <laughs> give it time. You'll, you'll yeah. Give it time. I mean, and it's not like, you know, I can't, people say, well, I can't afford to turn people away. And it's like, well, maybe that's true. And I, I, I'm never happy with, um, you know, discharging uh, unruly, <laughs> unruly patients, but um at the end of the day, if it costs you your peace, then it's it's too much. Um, Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of people who are showing up willingly, willing to do the work, and they value your time, and they value your skills, and those are the people you, you want more of. So you got to make space for them. 
Yeah. And then I just, it's just me and my clinic by myself and I love it. It's a cute little spot. And, um, you know, it's where I, I, I'm at, on my A game as a human being. So I, you know, I'm, I really am like on when I'm in my clinic space working and, uh, you know, I really enjoy that time I spend with clients, all the rest of it, the bookkeeping and, and the finances and everything, you know, you just have to, you can farm that stuff out, but sure. um, take care of your clients and, and you'll have a, a nice little practice in no time. I want, before we finish up tonight, cause I know we're, we're getting into that like two hours of, of talking time frame. Mark, I want you to ask Nancy a question that we haven't thrown out at our guests in a long time, because this is a person who, as I said, I feel like she has thrown herself into this career, but not in that like, oh, I love helping people. I love whatever. She's like, I'm good at this and I want to learn this. And I, I I want you to ask her the lottery question. What was it? It was like 70 million. Eh? I don't think we ever gave an amount. I, I think know. it was just you want, <laughs> well, we you want an known. obscene we, amount we, of money. <laughs> Nancy, if you were to win an obscene amount of money. Like obscene amount of money. Like funny money. That you never had to work again. Ever. Are you still doing your work or are you walking away? This is exactly what I would do because I think about this. I ask myself this question. That's a good test of your dedication to your craft. It right. Is. Right. So I would absolutely close my clinic for a period of time and I would travel to where my uh, teacher is, right? In California, because right now I'm not traveling there. I'm doing everything on Zoom and it's agonizing and it's taking forever. So I'm 52 years old. I don't have time for this shit. I got to get, I got to, <laughs> you know, I got to get, moving with this education and training and I want to keep doing it, I would probably leave my clinic um, and go and do some really intensive training for maybe like a couple of years. And, uh, and then I would start fresh with um, uh, probably, and, and that, I don't know what that would look like. Like it, that might, if depending on how my skills develop, I would prefer working with people who are really, really sick or um, like cancer patients, or, you know, terminal patients, or end of life care, or, mm-hmm. or something like that, it would, it would be something that made the best use of the skills as much as I could master them. I really have this idea that um, if I play my cards, right, the work that I'm doing now in my clinical practice is primarily to support my education and training. Like that's kind of how I look at it. I have a husband who's a plumber and we're not like rolling in in dough, but I don't, I can afford to dedicate myself to something that I'm really interested in. Hey man, plumbers make good money. That's all right. (laughs) But uh, the thing is, is, um, you know, I, I've never been able to, like, I've never been interested in, uh, in like operating a clinic and having employees, that's just a headache I don't need. And I I like the idea of having a space that I can um, create an environment that's conducive to the type of work that I want to do. And um, I, I think I'll be doing that for the rest of my life anyway. Is it massage therapy? I don't know. I, I haven't abandoned it yet. 
there's still lots of applications for massage therapy that I use every day. It's so fucking trippy to me. I'm tripping out right now. I'm tripping out because I'm tripping out this weekend. The past weekend, we were doing the the Canadian American Massage Conference, and we were originally supposed to be in a conference space with a live audience. And we've changed; they changed things around, and then we ended up being just full on virtual. And then we needed a venue; they needed a venue, and one of the sponsors, Card and Tables, offered their space because Shout they out to yes, yes, <laughs> because they have a, a like a, a really cool um you know manufacturing area and then they have an education spot where they run courses out of so we set up and made a studio there and really nice guy who who owns the joint i'm pretty sure i want him to be my best friend yeah and then one evening when after we had shut everything down he took us on a tour of the facility and it was really interesting to hear because I'm I'm always around massage therapists who are always like passion, 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 passion. I love massage therapy. If I won the lottery, I wouldn't do I wouldn't I, I would still do this and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, here's a mega successful guy. And someone that was on this tour with us had all of these questions about like, you know, how the plant works and manufacturing and all the rest of it. And the old, and he was telling us kind of a little bit of his story, how he used to be involved. He used to have a company that had something that, that, that made like he made light, bulb. light bulbs. He went from light bulbs right? to, to airbags, airbags and, to now, massage and now he makes massage tables. And, wow. I'm th- and the only question that I had for him was, and I didn't ask it because I, hopefully I'll have this fine gentleman on the podcast sometime. But my question for him is, do you love massage tables? Because way he talks about it and stuff, he's like super, like he's he's all he's all into it. But, but I, you I also, tried to explain some. But I get he it. It's loves the process. I guess he loves the process. That's his passion. Is the process. But to me, that's so interesting because massage therapists are like passionate about massage therapy, and I'm like, this is a guy who who who's very successful in what he does. And I don't. I, I I does he love tables? Well, I don't know. Did he love light bulbs? I don't know. Did he love airbags? Because I'm I'm so just surrounded by people that. That are that are that are all about pushing through with this passion thing that they do. But his passion, yes, is the process. But can I ask? But can I Has ask you? Yeah, yeah, is yeah. Nancy's passion massage therapy? No. Or is Nancy's passion no. helping people through their shit? No. You know what my passion is? It's understanding the nature of human suffering. Period. Ah, there so it is. It's it's it, and that is because of my suffering. So when the only way that I have figured out to understand people is how I've moved through my own life and the things that I had to deal with. Right. So we all come to this work with our own filters and baggage and judgments and and things like that. But when you've worked with women who like, uh, who are postpartum or, or you've worked with people who are at the end of life, or you've worked with, you know, people who are in recovery from addiction, or you've worked with people who are dying, like they're, they're young, and they're dying. And, you know, you, you have to kind of decide how you want to be with each one of those people. Um, You know, there's, there's a way to do it that just comes from understanding human suffering. Mm-hmm. And I was so confused about like why people weren't getting better. I'm will, I'm here, I'm working my ass off and I'm willing to help. Why is this person getting better and this person not? And that's the burning question that kept me up at night and kept me, you know, exploring all these wacky, like you wouldn't believe some of the roads I went down, right? Like just wacky stuff, just trying to understand how is it that we 
can, um, in, be, you know, with people suffering this much and having so much pain or, or having such limited access to care or even getting the right kind of care, just having being frustrated with not getting the right care. Like we're really resilient. So where does that come from? You know, and how can we bolster that, help someone find that in themselves to uh, drive their own process in healing? And so those are those deeper questions are what keep me interested in people because I don't like sometimes I really don't like people. You know, like there's a lot about humanity that is not. Oh, trust me, I get it. Not really doing humanity too well sometimes, (laughs) especially in the last two years. Is what I mean. I get it. But you know, you we've all had people on our table who've done really awful bad things, or who have like, um, you know, just gotten themselves so far down a certain path that Mm -hmm. they're really like we might be their last resort. You know, and oh, I remember something that you said on that that one podcast about like heart surgeons about saving lives. We're just massage therapists. We're not saving lives. Mm. And uh, I'm thinking, <laughs> but yeah, but there are some people that show up, and we are exactly in the right spot at the right time yep, yep, to yep. help them see their life in a different way right. that can change the trajectory of their healing process. So. You know, even though we're not ex- like putting in new heart valves, um, we are certainly uh, having some influence over a person's direction mm. in life or just offering that encouragement that um, they can do life. Like you can do this mm-hmm. for whatever we have left. You can do this in a more free moving and painless, joyful way. You can do it. So that's the shit that really fires me up and that um it's not so much about the techniques i'm using it's just about um what is that in the in in this person or what is that in us that we can just wake up a little bit so that um their physiology has a chance to to do something good to do to be able to engage in their life in a better way to look after their kids or um, you know, look after their business or, or whatever. So it, when it comes to the money, like, you know, I could sit at home and yeah, I could keep studying and, or go on vacation or buy a bunch of stuff. None of that is going to give me these answers. So I have to keep going. I, f- I find her very interesting, but very refreshing at the same time. I find your, your passion for just wanting answers and wanting to understand things i find it motivating actually well through listening to this this. through listening to this i i actually now realize why i don't care about treating anymore just by listening to this i'm like that's why i don't like treating anymore it's like my whole mission has changed over the past three years like the education and the teaching stuff lines up with it the podcast lines up with it because just by listening to this i'm like when i'm treating like my 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 latest mission i would say is i want to i want to just i want i want people to think i want you to see things from a different angle i want to hear it from a different from a different source i want you to challenge the way you've just been looking at the world and I can do that through my courses. I can do that through the webinars. I can do that through the podcast. And 
to me, that's not what I do in treatment. And it's just right now that it hit me. That's fucking why I don't get off on treating anymore Mm -hmm. because I get off on this other thing and and the other stuff fills the gap so thank you i i I didn't realize until right now yeah and And that's how healing happens yes so you just there so this is what i mean these conversations that you're having right you see how a simple conversation gave you insight into your motivation so now there's no question about it yeah you should go inactive and you should put a hundred percent hundred percent of that energy into what you're doing and then who knows where it will take you and you're and you motivated me as well as i said listening to you and how you just how you described like you know who are the people coming to see me and what do i need to get better at made me think i think i need to actually even step back from what i'm doing and figure out like what do I need to learn? Because I think for the last, I don't know, how many years have we been operating as Con Ed? I don't even know anymore. Oh, seven? Something like that. Seven, eight? I don't even know. All of these years, I just kept thinking, all I do is continuing ed. All I do is continuing ed. But I wasn't looking outside of what we're doing. And listening to you made me realize if I want to be really, really in love with treating, I need to actually think about what do I need to learn to service the people that are coming to see me? Mm. So, yes. And do you know what that is? Do you know what that is? Do you have any ideas? Do I have any ideas? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're there yet. I don't know yet. What do you need for you? So think about it. You can kind of flip it on yourself, right? So um, if you look at your own life, what are some things about your own life that you feel you could probably take a closer look at or yeah. put down or refine. It could be any area. So I would suggest maybe reflecting on that. A Absolutely. Bit. That's a, that's a whole self-awareness exercise that's going to happen. Oh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Like it could be anything, right? Like sometimes when I take a step back um, from treating or take a couple of days off just to focus on my finances, right? I learn a lot about myself in that, <laughs> in that aspect, besides just, you know, my resistance to doing it, number one, and where does that come from? So, you know, and then I, and, you know, and then sometimes I may have to um, focus some of my energy on, on that avenue, or mm-hmm. maybe it's um like having more fun because, you know, sometimes we're just working so much and just not having enough fun. So if there's a lack of fun, where can I inject a little bit more enjoyment and fun, right? And um, often that means playing uh, some kind of board game with my sister, but that usually ends up in an argument. And, uh, (laughs) you know, and that's a whole other kind of fun. But, um, (laughs) you know, this is what I mean is, you know, you, when you kind of uh, change or, or not change, but sort of work with things that you have to um, maybe take a deeper look at, mm-hmm. you know, it shifts the way you work and you might notice more things in your clients because you've been paying attention to it in yourself. Absolutely. This has been a very interesting and refreshing conversation. We didn't know for anyone listening. I know I say this all the time, but it's true. Every time I say it, we didn't know where we were going. We just thought this is an interesting person that we've had conversations with. 
let's do a podcast mm-hmm. episode. And Absolutely. Nancy, I feel like you dropped a whole bunch of knowledge on people and I hope it makes therapists reflect on... <laughs> like turkeys from the sky and uh, WKRP. And turkeys from the sky. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, they're turkeys. You've been Drop quoting your... a lot of WKRP <laughs> lately. Because it is the, the greatest but remember the ever. Remember the other day I was trying to pronounce a name and you went, Chai is Chai it Chai Chai Rodriguez? <laughs> Johnny turns the volume down Chi Chi Rodriguez and Les is like Mr. Rodriguez he's professional he's gonna say because it's a Chai Chai Rodriguez well anyway thank you Nancy for constantly um, I shouldn't say constantly for continuously listening and sending us feedback on the episodes because I, I appreciate the input. You know, we don't know what people are thinking unless they tell us. And I really do appreciate <laughs> you and the other people who actually like send us feedback. Otherwise, we don't know. We're talking to nobody then. Thanks for taking away more than just the fucking swear words every once in a while. <laughs> What do you mean? Oh man, some people their takeaway well, we, is just we, yeah, oh, we they do swear get, a lot. Aside from lot. the constructive emails that you know you and other listeners send, we do get a lot of emails saying you guys would have such great content if you'd stop swearing. And we're both thinking, why is that your takeaway? That's your takeaway. Take yeah, but I have to admit, you know, when I first started listening. Some of those was just, they were really foul, really fast. And I, it was, mm-hmm. I had yep. to wrestle through. I had to push through. It's true. We did, we <laughs> did have listening. this conversation. She said, I'm glad I hung on, but it was hard. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know what though? It's your, the diversity in your guests and the openness in which you like talk to people, you know, that makes it all worthwhile. It's really valuable. So, you know, the, the F-bombs um, are inconsequential when you look at the, the the broader scope of your work, right? Yes. Right on. <laughs> Someone gets it. Someone gets it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. And uh, before we wrap up, is there anything else, anything that we want to leave people with before we end off for the evening? Not really. I think I've, I've said a lot. So. Just digest it. Right on. In the words of Howard Stern, you've said it all. You've said it all. This was really good. Thanks for hanging out. This is fun. Thank you. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace. <laughs>